when you're born, you are born with the most eggs you'll ever have in your life. And the egg that you ovulate to go, that might go on to become your child, has actually been inside you since you were born. Welcome to Consciously Alive, a weekly podcast about how to live outside the rules, go against the norm, and consciously create a life that lights you up and makes you come alive. I'm your host, Phoebe Greenacre. I'm a spiritual business coach, somatic therapist, and founder of The Self-Care Space. I'm equal parts business and equal parts wellness, and I'm here to tell you anything is possible. Let's dive in. Hello, beautiful humans inside this community. Thank you so much for joining in this week. I am so happy that you're here little life update. My mango is uh, moving now, <laughs> my baby inside. Um, and uh, it, it feels very surreal to be able to feel something else inside of you moving. Um, something else that was sur- very surreal was buying my first baby outfit. Um, I don't know when people do this. Do people wait to the end? Do they? I've definitely waited to you know more than halfway to to, to purchase this. My girlfriend and I we went to the mall here in Bali. I'm so lucky that in Bali I have two other girlfriends um, that are pregnant at the same time. So that is such a beautiful gift for definitely to have for me, where you know my sisters and my family are not here. Um, so yeah, we went to the mall, we went into all the little shops. There's not a lot here in Bali. I, I, obviously it's, you know, more tourist kind of shops and people that are not pregnant and clothing. Um, but no, it was really cute to buy something, even if it was just small. So it leads on to this week's conversation who I'm interviewing Monique Cormack, who is a fertility and IVF nutritionist. Monique is um, an Australian. Um, we met in London while we were both setting up our new businesses at a, a networking event. Um, back then, she was a lawyer, um, living the high life, you know, traveling on weekends when you're in London, and and also studying to be a nutritionist. Um, very excited to share her journey, her story through fertility and IVF. And I, there's so many good tips to take away from this conversation. So let's dive in. Welcome, Monique. I'm so happy to have you here. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> you're so welcome. Um, for people at home, why don't you um, share where you're tuning in from? Um, and what you're doing currently like give us a little life update um so life update I am tuning in from um Sydney and it's eight o'clock here um it's hopefully uh going to be a quiet hour in my house I've actually just finished um breastfeeding my youngest um baby to sleep he is eight months um and Yes, now just praying that everybody stays asleep in my house and chill out. And yeah, looking forward to just doing this podcast tonight and then hopefully getting like my hour of sort of like mama parental downtime um, <laughs> before I go to bed, really. So yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So you have eight month old and then you have twins. How old are the twins now? Um, the twins are, I cannot believe it, but they are almost four. <laughs> Um, which is crazy. So yeah, um, I guess for people who don't know, I have um, identical twin boys and yeah, another little baby boy as well. So we are a very uh, testosterone dominant house, crazy household. 
It's pretty insane. Completely, completely. How do you manage the the testosterone? Like, do you get to do anything for you know bringing the feminine vibes in? Um, luckily, I think most of the boys in my house are still so young; they still like cuddles and sort of like affection, which is really good. Um, it's funny though. I I actually always felt like I was going to have boy children do you ever I don't know if you ever meet people and you always think oh that'd be a great boy mum or that'd be a great girl mum and you can just picture it I think if I envisaged myself as a parent I kind of felt like I would always have boys um I don't know if that's because I grew up sort of by the beach and sort of had like quite an outdoorsy kind of like active upbringing myself but yeah I think the way we sort of just keep the household going is just lots of we're like a physical family like there's always running and climbing and exploring and um, I just am learning to embrace that. Um, it doesn't mean we can't be sort of feminine and affectionate and loving. It's just, yeah, yeah, we're very physical. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I, I feel like I would be a good girl mum. So I grew up with three sisters and my mum and it was very kind of, yeah, female orientated. So we'll, we will see. We're keeping ours a surprise. So in four, five month, four months' time, we'll, we'll, we'll know. Um, oh my it's gosh, I can't believe it's that soon. Oh my gosh. I know. Already Sounds soon halfway, when you say it like more that. Than halfway. I know. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. So let's rewind a little. I can't remember. How did we meet in London? Do you know, I have been wondering this and I actually don't have any idea how we actually met. I know that we have mutual friends. I think our initial mutual friend was probably Brooke, who, <laughs> if you randomly listen to this podcast, <laughs> Um, I think that was up, but I don't know if that's how we met. Okay, no, it's just come to me. It was Lauren Arms event. <gasps> Lauren. Well to do. Well to do. Yeah. That's it. Yep. Yep. And then we were living quite close to each other and we went to yoga. I do remember that. Yep. Okay, okay. So let's so let's go back. That's probably like what, seven years ago, six years ago, you're in London. You were retraining or had just retrained as a nutritionist. Yeah, I was, um, well, I'd sort of almost finished my degree and then um, we had decided I'd gotten married and we always planned to move overseas after we'd gotten married. Um, It wasn't always the plan for me to go back to university and do a nutrition degree. So that kind of mildly interfered with everything, but we were like, nope, we'll still go. So I was still in the process of retraining, um, but sort of trying to also juggle living overseas at the same time, which is, as you know, not always easy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so before that you were a lawyer. Yep. I was a lawyer and that's actually what brought us to London. So my husband and I are both lawyers and we, I guess, did what would be, I think a pretty stereotypical kind of corporate Aussie thing of wanting to go and work. Like you go and work in London or New York and you do something and you like live in the city and, you know, work crazy hours, but you like take like weekend trips to Paris and the Greek islands, you know, like that, really that lifestyle of like no kids relatively good paying jobs for the first time in your life it things just are possible um so really trying to embrace that um although like I said I'd also had like this mild not mild actually quite significant change of heart in terms of what I wanted to do and was like retraining as a nutritionist at the same time so yeah weird time (laughs) Weird time, but amazing. So let's kind of share with the community at home how your journey, because now you kind of focus on 
um, you know, mostly on your Instagram is helping uh, women conceive and like through the IVF process and, you know, preconception and you have loads of kind of offerings there. How, what, what was your journey to conceiving and, you know, how did that kind of um, discovery for you then lead you down your pathway or your passion? Um, I think, yeah, like it's actually probably all started really coming to the surface around the time that we met um, in London, actually, like that was a really big transitional time for me. Um, I guess in some senses, I had a bit of a, not a typical, but like a relatively common experience in having a corporate career where, um, like, I'll be honest, like I grew up with um, an Asian mother who is incredible but she was I guess a little bit tiger mummish and I felt when I went through school I was always a top performer and when I finished I was always going to do law or medicine like that was they were my choices and I decided okay I'll just be a lawyer and I really followed a very set path in life and I'm good at academics like I am it was easy for me like university was really easy first class honors easy getting a job no problems no problems performing at work all of that sort of thing and I think I just spent a lot of my early 20s trying to do things that I thought would please other people. So I thought that I was meant to be a corporate lawyer. So I did that. And I thought that I was meant to go out partying all the time because that's what people who are my age did and just did a lot of things that I thought I should be doing. And I think it took me a bit longer than it takes some other people um, to realize that maybe always doing what you think you should be doing doesn't actually really sort of set your soul on fire. Um, and it was around the time that I'd moved to London that I'd started realizing that maybe I was doing things that, that weren't really aligned with what I was interested in. And so I had started studying nutrition because I was like, actually, I am interested in health, but I'm not interested in like medicalizing it. I'm interested in working with people in sort of like a preventative way or a healing way. And I got really interested in nutrition science. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back and do a nutrition degree. And at the same time as that was unfolding, um, I'd gotten married and I, you know, um, I guess there's a natural progression. Like you meet someone, you're in a relationship, it's serious, you get married. And I thought, well, I want to have children. And at the same time as all this sort of like change of career was unfolding, I was coming to terms with the fact that I was experiencing infertility. Um, So I really struggled with um, generalized anxiety disorder and um, orthorexia, so restrictive eating and over-exercising when I was really, um, when I was, oh my gosh, such a typical picture, like working in a corporate job, exercising like crazy every day, having coffee for breakfast, like such a typical picture of just intensity and deprivation and rules, like lots of rules. And when we, I went off the contraceptive pill and was like, cool, I'll get my cycle back and then eventually we'll try and have a baby. No, no cycle for like more than five years, no periods ever. And like this was at the same time as I'd moved overseas and I was like, I was picturing myself like coming back to Australia in a few years with like a pregnant belly and like surprising everyone when I arrived. And I was like, wow, I'm going to go back without a period. Like, I'm not even ovulating. Like, I am not going back with a pregnant belly. I'm going back with desperation. And so I guess it was like this intersection of like my personal health experience and then what I was becoming more interested in as a career. And it all just kind of like in, I mean, not in an easy way. I know there was a lot of hard work involved, but it all kind of came together. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm interested in preventative healthcare. I'm interested in healing and helping people. 
I have just gone through the absolute ringer trying to come to terms with infertility and going through fertility treatments and IVF, all of which I did. And it's just fallen together. I was like, I'm doing the wrong thing with my life. Like I want to do something completely different. And yeah, I mean, it took six or seven years, didn't it? But here we are. Like I finished my degree. I did extra training in fertility and pregnancy support in, you know, masterclasses and IVF support, all of that sort of stuff to really build my skill set. And now I just feel it's just great. Like it is, it is great. Now I do, yeah, I help um, individuals and couples um, with their fertility and it just feels so much more correct. Like, and I'm not living for shoulds. Like I'm not doing something because I feel like I should do it. So that's, yeah, that's the journey. (laughs) Amazing. So you feel more aligned now. You're doing this for you because it's what lights you up and just well, how old were you when you just had that light bulb moment of like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to change. I'm going to retrain. Um, I think the real light bulb moment was probably in, I can actually think of a moment where I was like, I have to just fix, I have to like, we have to do something about this. And it was like a career thing and a personal thing. And it was actually my 31st birthday. Um, and I'd had a massive with my husband because I still wasn't ovulating, getting a period. I still wasn't pregnant. I was working in this job that was so stressful and I'd taken time off to go to a hospital that morning and try and get some fertility tests done. And the stress of trying to get the time off work and not tell people that I was doing fertility tests and then I wasn't even working and we were living overseas and I had just didn't know what I was doing and I just remember just bursting into tears and just thinking, ugh. I'm done with this. Like I'm done with feeling so tortured about getting up every day and feeling so stressed at work and feeling so unhappy with how everything's going. Like I need to change my focus. Like I can't keep going like this forever. So I actually had like a really stereotypical aha moment where I was like, just sort of brought to my knees almost physically and was like, I can't do this. This is not my life. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like so many people, so many listeners are like in this community going through that or have gone through that like crossroads. Um, And we struggle because we we play this tug of war in our mind of what we should do. And, you know, those shoulds hang over us for years after we finish school, uni, what our parents think we should do, what our, what society thinks you should do. Um, What's a piece of advice that you could maybe give or offer up to someone that's probably ignoring the signs of not taking change or making change there was actually um a saying that I used to write in like my diaries and I still I mean to be honest I probably still stress about things and I should bring back this mantra and saying into my life um but I remember seeing it somewhere and it said don't don't avoid or ignore something because you're worried about the time it will take because the time is going to pass anyway. So if you are ignoring signs and letting something build up and just thinking, no, I'm already on a set path or I've already decided what I should be or I've already started one career and started on a pathway and I should should just stick with this, your thoughts and your doubts are not probably going to leave you. And you know what? the time is going to pass anyway. So you can either choose to let the time pass and 
feel that resentment or that wonder or that angst about whether you've chosen right or you can do something and it's not necessarily going to happen overnight and it's not necessarily going to be completely easy but that time is going to pass regardless of whether you act on those feelings um so maybe do it like you know and it yeah it's not instantaneous it really isn't and I mean like fertility it's often not instantaneous either sometimes it takes a lot of time um but that time yeah it's it's moving by regardless of whether you act and so I think sometimes we just need to start chipping away yeah completely such good advice such good advice because I have so many people reaching out saying oh I like I don't want to start a new business or start a new pathway because it's going to take so long but I would rather be happy doing something that is totally out of my comfort zone than you know be in that job you know skipping breakfast drinking the coffee and hating my life for the rest of my life for sure yeah, because it's not going to get any easier. You're still going to feel that way in a year. But the problem is then a year will have gone past. So, yeah. And your health, your mental health, your physical health, your fertility health is all potentially suffering. Um, what do you see most common when you're working with clients? Um, obviously, you you were on the birth birth control for a very long time and you're also – uh, on a restrictive diet and a high stress environment. Um, these are kind of, you know, we all, if we've worked in corporate and potentially had this, you know, lifestyle, this fast and furious lifestyle, it has ripple effects on our fertility and our health. What, what do you see most common or like, you know, the top kind of causes of people when you start to dive into their lifestyle what do you see the most kind of prominent kind of uh, players in affecting people's fertility? I think um, I think there's a combination of factors, um, but I think for actually in a lot of my female clients, what I see a lot of is, um, I guess if I had to sum it up in one word, is just undernourishment. So people um, people love rules and restrictions and I think if you're struggling with something including your fertility um, it can be quite people find relief when they're like oh okay I need to fix this so I'm gonna I don't know eliminate meat from my diet or I'm gonna eliminate grains or I'm gonna skip breakfast I'm gonna start intermittent fasting or I'm gonna follow this like incredible magic fitness routine or I'm gonna do something but Quite often, like, I mean, when we're trying to create a life, when we're trying to grow something inside our body, we actually need more nourishment um, mentally, physically, spiritually than we have ever had before. And so I think a really common thread I see, if I could sort of sum it up in one way, talking about both, I guess, the physical and scientific, but also the holistic element is just undernourishment. There's not making room or space for the fact that your health is your priority, your fertility is your priority, growing a life is your priority and actually rules and restrictions and removing things um, is probably not going to help you grow. Like you physically want to grow a child um, and so we need to make time for that. We need to prioritise getting nutrients in. We need to prioritise sleep um, and as hard as it is, we sometimes need to face the fact that we are very, very stressed um, and 
not making time to do anything that we enjoy every week. And we need to, I know it's not always possible to completely change our lives, but we need to find a way to bring some sort of nourishment back in. Um, a lot of the time I spend time in my appointments telling clients to eat more and to, you know, put more in rather than take things out. So that is a huge thread that I see. Yeah. Yeah, completely. And I, I guess let's move a little, like a few steps before people come to you and suffering with, you know, or wanting to work on their fertility. I think one of the misconceptions is that we go along in our 20s and our 30s doing whatever we want, eating whatever we want, not enough, working out, partying, potentially drugs, alcohol, lacking of sleep, not sleeping on the weekends. And then we wake up at, you know, 31 or whenever that is, 35 and go, okay, I'm going to have a baby now and immediately kind of switch the flick of like, okay, well, why isn't it happening? Their lifestyle and, you know, and I'm, I'm in this category is affecting their, you know, it, their egg health. I don't know. You can talk more about it, but what, what is their lifestyle currently in their 20s? or 30s affecting their future fertility yeah so it's really I mean this especially is true for females but I mean it does affect males too um but I guess so you like when it comes to female fertility um I think there has been such a lack of education and awareness um in modern society about how fertility works and I was a victim of this like I had absolutely no understanding of how my fertility worked when I was younger and I did think I could just flick a switch and turn my hormones back on and have a baby and it would all be fine but the reality is that like in terms of like the egg that's going to get fertilized to become a baby you have had all those eggs in your body since you are a 20 week old fetus okay so your eggs were actually inside like the jet like generations of women like when you were an, a, like an egg, you were present inside your mother who was an inside her grandma, like inside your grandmother. Like we've had, so when you're born, you are born with the most eggs you'll ever have in your life. And the egg that you ovulate to go, that might go on to become your child has actually been inside you since you were born. And so unfortunately, like the lifestyles that we lead in our earlier life when we don't think about our fertility do have a cumulative effect on the health of our eggs and the womb that's going to carry the baby. So um, everything that we do when we're younger, it does have an impact. And that doesn't mean that, you know, when we're 16, we all of a sudden have to become like, you know, super healthy and clean. We still live our lives. But I think at some point we need to more understand probably in our 20s and 30s that what we're doing at this point um, may affect our fertility. There are cumulative effects on our egg health and we probably need to give it a little bit more thought um, before we often do. And, you know, it's things like, yeah, what we eat, our stress levels, where, you know, traveling, but, you know, exposure to chemicals, what we put our bodies in contact with every day, like all of these things do have an effect on the health of our eggs. And, I guess sometimes that realisation, by the time it kicks in, um, sometimes we don't have a huge egg reserve left, I guess. So, and that can be really confronting. Crazy. My mind's just blown. I've like, because obviously I'm pregnant right now and I've just gone like, my mind went to like, you know, going to festivals in Sydney, like all throughout summer, every single 
every single one for at least 10 years and then I'm like bopping away on the dance floor with all my eggs inside of me I know it's crazy (laughs) that's what I used to think that's what I think about as well I'm like oh my gosh like you know when I woke up in somebody's garage my eggs were just all hanging out there going mon like what are you doing (laughs) you are sleeping on the garage floor you need to get up (laughs) like take me home yeah but like they've just been there through through everything um, and you know, even for even for men who I think get off lightly a little bit in the fertility process, it actually takes about three months for men to ma- manufacture sperm. I know it seems instantaneous, like the sperm just appear, <laughs> but it actually takes a few months. And so, you know, their environmental exposures, the way they eat, you know, that is also relevant. And the thing I think everyone forgets is that your egg and sperm contain the genetic code to make a human. Like literally you contain like a genetic blueprint that is going to come together. So it's worth considering it before, yeah, before the preconception stage, like in the lead up to when you want to conceive is actually important too. I'm glad you've brought that up because in our situation, there was issues with the sperm and it was so crazy. Some of the stuff they like, you know, they said it it will reproduce, like in 90 days, you'll get a new kind of, batch or they'll kind of grow another set of millions or whatever um, and all the things that you can do to help change the the men's health and I think yeah men do get off lightly and when you hear of infertility you think immediately oh she's got no eggs left or oh she's you got PCOS or whatever but a lot of the time it's actually it's 50 percent of the time is 50 percent of yeah there's 50 percent of the time and actually in 30 percent of infertility cases it's actually solely due to male factor so one in when you go to a fertility clinic one in three couples that are sitting there you'd never know it you always look at the woman but it's actually a male initiated infertility issue and i think we need to like it's actually a huge personal interest of mine so I do work a lot with women but um a lot like a lot of my practice and a more of my practice is actually becoming seeing couples and also seeing men and um we need to somehow acknowledge this and also I think we need to somehow break the stigma down around it because I think fertility in men is associated with being a man um do you know what I mean like there's this real tie in like conceptualizing masculinity with being fertile and being virile and having sperm it's actually not connected at all like it's not and we need to actually explore that and change that because it stops people from seeking assistance like I have people send me messages saying my husband will refuses to go to the appointments with me he will not he will not get a semen analysis and I'm like dude like we may not be able to help I can't help you like because we need to see this it's actually fundamental like how do we change my, my husband put it off for for years because he's like oh it's I'm young I'm healthy it's fine yeah and yeah and it was at that point where we realized where where what had been going wrong so um so so important um what else do you look at in terms of you know um other things that are maybe not nutritional, uh, not nutritionally advice, like other kind of tips that you give people um, that's not so much nutrition based. Because like when I was Googling like how to help sperm health, it was like no tight underwear, um, like loads of different things. And also like releasing 
like every couple of days. So don't hold the old sperm. Yep. Get rid of it. Yep. Got to keep ejaculating. (laughs) You do. Yep. You have to keep going. Yeah. So look, I think um, from, in terms of the way I practice, I, I guess I can, in a way, I sort of combine that scientific nutrition therapy to improve um, male and female fertility. But we also do have to look at some other sort of, I use the word holistic and I don't necessarily, I do mean a little bit of woo-woo, but I also mean holistic in the sense that we do need to look at other impacts on the body. So it is actually true that um, pressure and tight clothing and also heat um, to like male reproductive organs is actually really bad for sperm health. So really long sauners, hot baths, cycling, um, tight workout gear, those things can have an impact. We can also look at things like um, exposure to pesticides um, and endocrine disrupting chemicals. Um, you know, I think it's more typical for male roles to be um, connected with sort of like factory work, manufacturing, um, working with chemicals, um, working in agriculture, those sorts of things. So sometimes men can actually really, women I think use personal care products, cleaning products, those sorts of things, but sometimes through like occupational exposures and things like that, men can actually be exposed to quite a significant dose of endocrine disrupting chemicals. So thinking about using, you know, protective equipment and things like that. So yeah, other tips in terms of improving your fertility, it's not just what's on your plate, but also like, are you washing your fruit and vegetables to remove pesticide residues? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you avoiding tight clothing? Are you releasing every few days? So yeah, taking sort of like more factors into account than just, oh, we need a supplement or you need to eat more vegetables and those sorts of things. So those sorts of things definitely are helpful, but we certainly need to, I think if you really want to improve your fertility and optimize your fertility, you need to think about more than one factor at once. You need to think about all the risk factors you can modify, not just food. Yeah. It was crazy. We did a heavy metal detox, uh, heavy metal kind of uh, hair sample test, like right from the root. And, and my husband's was really high in like mercury and lead and all of these things that we, we then did a, a metal detox, which can take years to relieve the body, which is crazy. So yeah, we, we did all of the things. <laughs> I was like, we got to try everything. Yeah. And sometimes it's little things where people don't realize they might need a change. Like, for example, something that I see really commonly, um, and I feel like this is a very typical, like maybe a corporate um, male thing, uh, canned tuna. It seems to be like something that is just like every day they're like, "Mm -hmm, yep, I don't cook. Uh, I need to bring something to work. I'm going to have canned tuna. And then all of a sudden they're having canned tuna every single day and like, or two cans of tuna. Um, And I'm like, okay, we need to just like mix up the canned food here. We need to mix up the seafood because seafood is a source of mercury. And actually it's recommended to have seafood a few times a week, but we don't want to just be having the same seafood in a can every single day. For example, we want to sort of diversify what's going on in the protein department there. Um, Yeah. So it is, yeah, sometimes it's just little, little tweaks, but actually we need to make those tweaks to have sort of like a, a more significant impact (laughs) completely I was speaking with my husband and obviously he's from um, the UK and so he grew up on baked beans a lot from a tin so he was like babe where's all this aluminium coming from because it was so high and I was like babe your spray deodorant that I tell you not to use 
has aluminium in it and your you know all the tin tuna the tin baked beans the tin tin everything. everything so he's yeah <laughs> yeah and you know for 35 six years so we we kind of cut all the tinned stuff out <laughs> completely it's hard like I think we do have to it's hard to be we've got to find that balance I guess between living our lives and being realistic but making small swaps where we can and I think that's something I try to work on like long-term with clients is trying to find that balance. Like, you know, not for many of us, we need to rely on some level of convenience um, when it comes to lifestyles, cooking, living, traveling, personal care, whatever it is, there's always a compromise. So it's about looking at those small shifts that you can be consistent with. So, you know, if you can only have canned tuna twice a week instead of seven times a week, then we do that. It doesn't mean we never have it again, but we make shifts. And then we might also shift something else. So we might also increase, for example, like um, the fiber content of your diet so that your bowels work more effectively to help with elimination. So we can do other things. So sometimes, you know, it's about moving something here and moving something there. And in that way, we sort of make progress. Yeah, so so interesting. We we once we were pregnant and back we like we love making tuna sandwiches. It's like my favorite thing from tin tuna. I know. Oh, well you can't. It's it's, it's yeah, tin tuna, mayonnaise, like all of those things. Like they they belong together and they are delicious. So that's what I mean. Yeah, you've got to find the like happy middle ground. It's it's once in a blue moon now. It's a special treat. So, um yeah, it's funny. Um I want to go back to like when you were retraining, were you thinking like, I'm going to work in a nutrition clinic or I'm going to be my own boss? Was there a point in that kind of transition where did you think that you will like continue on this journey of working for someone or you were like, no, this is the turning point. I want to be my own boss and I want to have freedom and those type of things, more, more of that kind of stuff. I think initially I didn't really know. Um, I was working as a lawyer and as a lawyer you tend to work for big corporates um, you tend to work in professional services firms and so the idea of working for someone had really been ingrained into me like going to somebody getting constructive criticism on everything that you do having rules having things that had to be complied with people to please all the time and it initially when I started studying I was like uh what do I do if I'm not working for somebody else and that was actually really confronting I remember actually one of the subjects I had to do at uni initially was to do a business plan and my business plan I decided yeah I am going to start my own clinic and I was writing this business plan and I was like man I do not know how to do this Um, I am an intelligent person and I obviously have a law degree and I understand business very well but wow am I going to work for myself Um, and I think what sort of pushed me to really make the leap was actually um, having children. So that, because then I realized I was like, wow, I have to work for myself because I need that freedom. Um, This is not, I don't want to go back to an office and have that lifestyle anymore. Um, So initially it was actually really, I didn't actually think I was going to do it. And I was really probably scared about doing it. Um, And it was sort of life that forced my hand because I just happened to graduate at the same time. I actually went back and finished my degree. I had like six months left and I had my, I ended up having my twins. So I went back to uni when my twins were four months old. Um, I had this mother's helper and I would like go in for three hours and like pump in between like my lectures and then like come back home and like 
play with the twins and then like the next day like and I was like trying to do all these classes in like three hour intervals to try and get it done um but it was life that forced my hand and I was like I have to work for myself because I can't leave like I'm a mother now I I have a family and I need flexibility and wow I mean law can pay really well but I would say that flexibility is definitely not one of the um (laughs) characteristics of the legal industry so um yeah I was just I sort of forced my hand and I had to make the leap um I didn't know what I was doing at all (laughs) now being in your you know your business and the journey that you've created what would you have done differently when you kind of first graduated what would you go back and be like okay I would probably do this instead or get more help around this what would that look like if you were to reflect back on your journey honestly and I I know I'm you I just want to make it clear to everyone that you have not made me say this at all because I know that you help other women with their businesses but I would have invested more in a coach and learning how to establish my business and market it and develop it rather than focusing so much on what I knew about nutrition like I just done a nutrition degree and I came out with a real sense of imposter syndrome and this feeling like which I actually think is a reflection of the fact that I'm an intelligent individual and really wanted to genuinely help people and not to give them the wrong advice but I came out going oh my gosh I need so much more nutrition knowledge I need like I've just done a a three-year degree but I need to do at least five years more study I need to learn all of these things and I spent so many such time doing these courses but I guess I mean you would know but like know this but you can learn all this theory but if you have no clients to practice it with and to engage with your learning can sometimes be limited because you need the challenge of a client and you need a business to work on to to further your knowledge and now actually I enjoy education so much more because I've got clients that it relates to and I I know what I want to learn and I wish I had gone back and actually spent more time thinking about business development and marketing and who I wanted to work with and what I wanted to be and the kind of business I wanted to have because to be honest I really only started thinking about that probably in the last year to 18 months Um, and I wish that I had thought about business earlier Um, and it's something that I think a lot of us who work for ourselves don't want to think about we think we're like oh it's a side it's a hobby I don't need to know about business it's not really a business because we're scared to accept that it is (laughs) and I was really scared I didn't know I wanted to work for myself yeah yeah no it's super important I think everyone finishes their their uh, certification or qualification with imposter syndrome and thinking that they have to do another course and another course but really they just need to know or get to know what their why is and how to share their story and how to get online if they're going to do an online business to, sh- to start selling themselves and sharing why this was so such an impactful journey for them. This is why I share in my courses is that it's your journey is so unique and it's so like individual to you, but you're going to be able to inspire so many other women because there's so many other women out there that are going through the same struggles as you. Yeah. Yeah. And that is such, so important. And actually that's something, a feedback that I do get now from my clients is that sometimes I people fill out an application form to work with me and I, it says, you know, why did you, why do you want to work with me? And they're like, 
well, I saw that you actually had done IVF and you just seem like you seem like you'll understand why why I need help. Um, and, you know, if I hadn't, but the only reason they know that is because I have become more open and willing to share my story and understand that that's actually part of my business and that's okay. Like, it's okay to share that that's why I was motivated to start my business and that's what drives me because that helps me relate to other people. And yes, learning all of this when I initially wanted to start a business would have been super helpful. Um, yeah, but it's, yeah, it is such an important thing. I didn't pay Monique to say that about getting a coach or working with someone in terms of your new business. But if you are in that situation where you have trained, you have the certification and you're ready to build your online business, then I would love to help you out in that process. Doing it alone can be super scary and really super isolating. So I have a 12-week program called the Consciously Alive CEO for people that are wanting to start up um, their online business. We go through everything from actually identifying what it is you want to create in your life, in your business, what are your values, um, really getting to the nitty gritty of who you want to help, identifying who you want to help, and then how to really share your story and elevate your offerings online. We go through marketing, social media, we go through a load of mindset and confidence tools, um, everything you really need. It's like a mini MBA um, in 12 weeks in the one program, um, as well as a healing uh, element to the course as well as my background is 15 years in digital marketing and corporate startups entrepreneurship. But then in the last eight years, I've been retraining as a somatic therapist, a yoga teacher, meditation teacher, breathwork um, facilitator. So I've got both in both experiences in terms of business and body mind healing. I bring it all together in this program where you get to be guided um, through and taught and elevated and really give you the, the confidence to launch your online business. If that is something that is calling to you, you're like, I want to know more about this, then click the link in the show notes where it says uh, CEO program and you can learn more about it. I'm doing one-to-one face-to-face application calls this month um, and we start this month as well. There's already people signed up. There's already beautiful women inside the community ready and building their business. So I would love to hear from you. What, when did you start sharing about your IVF journey? Um, at what point in your business? And did you see a change in, um, you know, clients and people interested in working together? I probably started sharing a lot about, how old is Remy now? He's eight months, so a bit before I, before I got pregnant with him, so maybe like 18 months ago um, or a bit longer than that. So only quite recently, um, I really started opening up and just put out um, why I had experienced infertility and that I had done IVF and that also I'd done fertility treatments that hadn't worked and that I'd found it really difficult. And I noticed a, a huge shift. I actually attracted more clients and met more people and found, I guess, found the type of person that I actually wanted to help and that would be helped by me. Like at the end of the day, you also have to find people who will find you helpful. 
Um, and yeah, I did notice a massive shift. And yeah, like I said, now I get people who want to work with me and they want to work with me because they want to talk to somebody who gets it and who has been there. And if they come to the appointment and just want to vent or they use all these random acronyms and stuff that you only learn when you are going to fertility treatments or fertility testing, that it's going to be okay, that I'm going to understand that you can just say it. And I'll be like, yep, I know what that means. I know what you're doing or I understand why you're venting and why this is shit. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was a huge shift and it just, it actually felt good. Um, and it also made me realize still how much we don't talk about these things and how people struggling with fertility don't want to say things. I think also what held me back though initially from sharing is that um, when I was actually going through the fertility treatment, I was so scared it wouldn't work and I couldn't I couldn't be open about it. I was so scared that it wouldn't work. I was so scared that I wouldn't have a baby. Um, and yeah, I'm not perfect and I'm not super great at being open. Like in my second pregnancy with Remy, I didn't announce it until I was 28 weeks because I was so traumatized by doing IVF and I actually gave birth to my twins very prematurely at 31 weeks. And there was actually, when I was pregnant with my twins, they almost came at 24 weeks and that would have been really early and obviously a high risk of like mortality at that um, gestation. Um, and I was so traumatized by my pregnancy and by IVF, I couldn't share it that I was pregnant. I was just like, couldn't tell anyone. Like I didn't want to tell people I worked with and I was working from home at the time because of the pandemic. So I was like, great, no one needs to know I'm pregnant. And I was so fearful. So sometimes fear still gets in the way of me being open about my journey. Um, but when I'm able to overcome that, I think that I resonate with people so much more and you meet the right people when you're open. You do. So the more vulnerable you have been on your journey and about what you've gone through personally has really attracted the right people into your business. But what I hear you saying is that share in the right time. Like don't share just to, to get clients. Make sure that you feel ready. You have to be ready. Yeah. And it's okay if you're not. Like there will be parts that you're not ready to share and that's okay. Um, share when you're ready. And I think it's, it's worth it. Mm. Yeah, completely. So let's, I'm going to go back again to when you first uh, got into nutrition and studying nutrition. I vaguely remember you having a blog or a bit of a like recipe community. How did that help? And kind of what did that look like for you? How did that help you then build your business? I think what was so I still actually do have that food blog too would you believe it's still in existence and it still gets like about tens of thousands of hits a month because it's just been it's got really good SEO because it's had that like domain longevity um anyway that's a bit technical so let's just skip that but what that really helped me with was learning how to build an online presence it was almost like a test of how to be online um and being online is not easy you know, it's not easy to create a website. It's not easy to manage a website. It's not easy to run social media. It's not easy to learn SEO or creating a blog or web links or any of that. Like it's all sort of gobbledygook when you get started. And so I think a real advantage of me getting into food blogging and doing that when I was studying and when I was working and having that passion project is that you learn so much about technical stuff, like about websites and about 
maintaining one and what you want to put on one and how they work. And that was really advantageous for running a business because I sort of had seen, I'd spent so much time on other people's websites, like literally just looking at websites and being like, that's cool. I want this. I want that. This is what I want to say. And understanding that presence first in a business that wasn't sort of like my main thing. Um, And yeah, it's hard learning all of that. I think people in the like Instagram days now, everyone wants to be big on Instagram or TikTok. Um, but I like that's where I started my journey to blogging. It's like it's so undervalued, I think, in now in these de- these times, <laughs> these times, uh, 10 years later. Um, that, you know, blogs are great and a great way to, for new people to find your, your, um, your expertise and, and also to become authority in that area as well. So if you're out there and you're listening and you're thinking, do I, should I, should I start a blog? Look, take it from Anique. It helped her learn all of the online stuff. How to, and then also cre- you created a community. You got, you gained lots of followers from that, didn't you? Definitely. I did. And, you know, I know a lot of us do live in that, yeah, like I want to just do stuff on TikTok, Instagram, have this instantaneous kind of presence. But a lot of my people, like people contact me through my website form quite commonly and opportunities have come to me because people have Googled something or they've looked at something on Instagram, but they want more information. Like if you're selling a service, especially one where you have a higher level of knowledge, like I'm working in a service where I have scientific knowledge that I'm trying to apply sometimes we can't communicate that in a TikTok or a reel or whatever it is sometimes we actually need to show people that we're actually made of something a little bit more substantial and I have a blog now like on my actual nutrition website I have a blog and I publish articles and I send people to them because they're like can I you know how much fish can I eat when I'm pregnant and I'm like oh I've actually written an article on this you know, I don't have a five second reel to show you. I actually have something credible. Um, and like you're right, it establishes you as an authority. Um, yeah. And, you know, be an expert, show people that you know things. It doesn't all have to be, yeah, in a little, in a little grid. Amazing. So I, I struggle to, to, to write the 2,100 words in or characters in the Instagram post any, anyway. So <laughs> It's it's too short. It's too short. Um, so let's let's go back to the the time where you kind of first struggled with infertility, and and you were kind of potentially thinking at retraining, like that that aha moment you were talking about. What's one piece of advice you would give that thirty one year old version of Monique? I was actually thinking about this the other day. Is just to to stop to slow down, to stop, to stop rushing. And that um, the things that you want, they, they will come. Um, But applying the anxiety and the angst and the pressure to those things, like the anxiety and the angst and the pressure, that's what got me into the mess in the first place. So applying those same techniques to dig myself out of it is not going to work. And um, I actually, like, so I had reasons for infertility, which related to me not ovulating. So there were obviously medical reasons as well. But I actually, so I, for my twins, um, I couldn't get my period back. I tried everything, like 
we I did like we were doing yoga together so I was doing like yin yoga I changed my diet I gave up the gym like I did everything to try and get myself ovulating again I took herbs I took supplements um and I couldn't and then I went through fertility treatment I did six rounds of fertility medications I couldn't conceive I did my first round of IVF was a complete failure Um, my second round of IVF I just got the one embryo which actually broke in half and became identical twins but all my other embryos were poor quality. They were all discarded. So I had a shocking experience. So that was my first experience of getting pregnant. My second experience when I had changed my life, changed my business, um, you know, had removed so much of the angst and like, I guess, disharmony that I had. We started, like, I actually went to see the fertility specialist and was like, hey, I'm going to, I want another, I want to be pregnant again. So I want to do IVF. I want you to do all the tests for me. And she did all the tests and she did tests for my husband as well. She's like, you don't actually have any problems anymore. Like you're ovulating. She said, honestly, you'll be pregnant within six months. She said, if you're not pregnant, come back and see me. But she said, I reckon I'm never going to see you again. And I left that appointment. It was a telehealth and I shut the computer. I was like, what a cow. She is not listening to me. I was pregnant in two months. I literally started trying and I was pregnant straight away. Naturally. And, and so what I would go back and tell myself is that like like the biggest difference was not the is most my, my mental mindset and my the shift in the way I was living and I wish I could just go back and tell myself that you know rushing into fertility testing and trying to get pregnant in the middle of like hectic London when we were still living overseas you know away from our families working these crazy jobs this was not the time to be pregnant and I was actually probably not going to have a baby there and I wish that I could have just said to myself like you've got time it is going to be okay but there are things in your way that you need to address first and they aren't necessarily all like nutrition or supplement things they're life things and I actually went and saw an acupuncturist in London who I love and you know like I was a paying customer I'm sure she wanted to keep me but in one of the sessions she just looked at me and she's like darling she said go home you need to leave London you need to get out of this city she said the way you are living it's not happening she's like you need to go she said you will be so much happier and you'll have a baby and she was right like she was right in the end (laughs) it just took me a long time to see it but I think I was focusing on the wrong things and I actually needed to focus on slowing down not ignoring the problem on you know but healing like doing things in a different way I was still so so rushed I just yeah wanted medicine to fix everything completely same with us like it took us more than a year after being in Bali and like completely slowing down from the rat race of London and like almost like not like you know I wasn't diagnosed with anything nor my husband but you're almost like recovering from exhaustion from years of exhaustion and you don't even know. <laughs> you don't even know. You don't, I think you don't even know. Like I didn't understand at the time. I don't know if I could have made myself at that age and that point in my life understand. Yeah, it's hard. So let's, uh, why don't you share with us how people can work with you? What programs do you have and what's coming up? 
Um, well, what's coming up is hopefully me getting back into seeing one-on-one -on -one clients a little bit more. Um, currently, obviously, as um, Remy is still really little, I spend a lot of my days with him and I sort of work nights, which is uh, maybe not the balanced lifestyle I was aiming for, but uh, <laughs> it is what it is. And I love my clients so much and I can't stop seeing them. So I'm just making peace with that. But um, I guess what I've got going on at the moment is sort of trying to really still focusing on like the infertility and like I guess complex infertility cases and IVF cases and so I see people one-on-one -on -one, but I also run um, two online programs. I've got like a short course for people who are just like hey I want to know more about fertility and how to eat well and live well. Um, so I've got like a little preconception prep course but um, then the main way I work with people is through an IVF program. Um, and it's called the IVF Roadmap, and that's what it's intended to be. It's actually intended to do what I've been talking about, which is sort of harness all those different elements. So, yes, obviously I'm a nutritionist, so we talk about diet and dietary factors that affect fertility. But we also spend time talking about managing stress, managing sleep, helping to reduce your exposure to um, chemicals, um, working on supplements, you know, working on mindset, um, meditating, creating that space um, for a baby and so that's sort of the main way I help people now is to try and bring those different strands together. I know not all of us um, can have complete you know sea changes and career changes but just helping to make people within their boundaries make fertility and their health more of a priority so not just what's on your plate but what's going on around you as well. Yeah, I think having so much more awareness around your environment, what you're putting in external is is hugely impactful. Um, so can people join anytime? Do you have certain cohorts or is it um, always open? Um, the self-paced option is always open. Um, so you can always join the self-paced if you want to work with me. So I coach people through it as well. Um, if you want to work with me, um, I generally advise booking. I've got like a free 15 minute chat and Generally, people like to do that first. So you can check your availability, your time zone with my time zone, make sure that we're all aligned, make sure you actually enjoy chatting to me. Um, and so I generally recommend people book a free 15 minute chat if they're looking for personal coaching and then we sort of schedule it in and see if we're a good fit. But if you want to do it self-paced, if you're a bit of a self-paced learner, and some people are, they're like, oh, cool, you're just going to tell me everything and I'm going to soak it up, then it's always open. And um, in terms of the self-paced offering, you've got 12 months to use it because I'm sure, as you know, uh, fertility journeys do not happen overnight, okay? So you might start doing something and not, you know, it's it might take months, it might take, you know, you might start learning about it and then be like, okay, something else has come up or there's an obstacle or, you know, there's a hurdle, you have a year, it's okay. I know just how complicated things get, so it's okay you've got time. Amazing. I'm going to end with a few quick fire questions. So whatever comes to your head is great. Um, what's one thing you do every day that makes you feel consciously alive? Um, at the moment is I walk, I go outside, I go for a walk, even if it's raining, I go and I take, even if I've got Remy, which I have every day, I have him every day. I'll, if it's raining, I will strap him to me and I'll put an umbrella over our heads and we will just go out and smell the air. Nice. Fresh air is life-changing. It is, especially when you're sleep deprived. <laughs> when the kids are in bed and it's quiet, what, what's your kind of like uh, 
don't want to say treat, but what do you like go to the cupboard for or uh, like enjoy in your peace and quiet? So my current thing that I'm obsessed with and I know it's been around for ages is like stuffed medjool dates. So like dates and then like put in like a little bit of peanut butter and then like I wedge in like a little bit of dark chocolate, make some tea, eat it. Don't just shove the whole thing in my mouth, but actually sit down, eat it. Sometimes I do read emails because it's the only time I have to catch up. Sometimes I text my friends, but yeah, just that little moment, that little sweet moment. Amazing. What's one piece of advice you would give to new mums out there that are potentially juggling loads of different things? Everyone is finding it just as hard and shit as you. They're just not saying it. So don't compare yourself. Like there is so much unspoken um, and everyone, everyone doesn't love it all the time. And it is, yep. And don't compare. There's no point comparing your baby to anyone else's baby. It's just your baby. Yeah. Um, Do you have time for Netflix? If so, what was the last thing you loved that you watched on Netflix? Um, Yes, I do have time for Netflix. Um, That's actually something else that I enjoy with my tea and my dates. Um, (laughs) The last thing, I don't know if it's on Netflix, but I'm watching Yellowstone. Is that a Netflix thing? I think it might be. I don't know if it's on Netflix or something else. You know, when you just have all sorts of random TV subscriptions. The other thing I'm watching, which is a bit, I don't know if it's a bit lame. My husband thinks it's so lame. I'm watching something on Foxtel called A Discovery of Witches that has Teresa Palmer in it. Yeah, it's like based on some kind of like weird sci-fi novel and it's got like witches and demons in it. I'm just admitting that I'm like 100% an A-grade loser there, but I love it. Everyone has their weird kinks. Everyone, Every time my husband has it on, he's like, oh, my, my husband's like, what? is this stupid show about witches and vampires. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yep, it's like Twilight for older people. <laughs> I'm watching it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. I think that one thing that you can do, or like as the more you get older and, you know, just really accept your weirdness. Yep. You just, just have this to is me. soak it up. This is it. Yep. Yep. Soak it up. <laughs> Amazing, Monique. Thank you so much for being on the show. This has been an an amazing conversation. I know so many people are going to get so much out of it. Um, Where do you want to send people to? And I'll pop it in the show notes links so you don't need to spell it out or anything. Um, You can probably, probably my Instagram because I'm always active on there. And if you want to just see the real me, just like, yeah, mopping mopping about on my stories, trying to like juggle 60 million things at once, just living living the real life but also sharing lots of tips and trying to support you then that's the best way um i do try and check my messages constantly and you know stay in touch with people so that's probably the best place to find me thank you so much monique thank you so much for joining it's been a pleasure and i know your time is very very uh important and limited so um, i hope you enjoy the rest of your evening thank you so much for having me it was an absolute pleasure Thank you so much for tuning in, guys. I loved that conversation. I got so much out of it and it just made me feel really less alone with my own fertility journey as well. And just such a good reminder of how much our environment, our stress um, and not being happy can really impact 
the female body, the female ovulation and all of those type of things that when we're ready to become mums or start a family that we've not really looked into. So definitely go and reach out, go and give Monique a follow on Instagram. She has so many great tips if you're in that um, phase of life. Um, and if you love the episode, I'd love for you to share it on Instagram, tag me, send to a friend, forward the email. Um, sharing the love means the world to me. And if you're not already subscribed, hit the subscribe button and it will go straight into your downloads each week on Monday morning. Thanks for tuning in. See you soon.